0: So there's an old fable I want to share with you this morning about. uh, There's an old fable about a man who found a young eagle that had fallen out of its nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens that were there. One day a naturalist passed by the farm and asked, why was the king of all the birds confined to live in a barnyard with a bunch of chickens? The farmer replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it never learned how to fly. Since it now behaved as the chickens, it was therefore no longer an eagle. "'Still it has the heart of an eagle,' replied the naturalist, "'and surely she can be taught how to fly.' He lifted the eagle toward the sky and said, "'You belong to the sky and not the earth.'" Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was, and seeing the other chickens eating the food, he jumped down and began to eat with them. The naturalist again took the bird to the roof now of the house and urged him once again, saying, You're an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. You belong to the sky. The eagle looked around, back towards the barnyard and up to the sky. Then the naturalist lifted him up and the eagle saw the other ones and jumped down off the barnyard and began to pursue feasting with the chickens. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle to a high, high mountain. It was there that he he took the king of all the birds high above the mountains and encouraged him, saying, listen, you're an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and soar. And the naturalist lifted him straight towards the sun. And it happened that the eagle began to tremble. But then slowly, he stretched forth his wings and with a triumphant cry began to soar its way into the heavens. It may be that the eagle still remembers the chickens with some nostalgia. It may even be that occasionally the eagle revisits the barnyard. But as far as anyone knows, he's never returned to lead the life of a chicken. Let me preface by saying that was not a true story. As we continue in our study through 1 John, the The Apostle Paul is reminding Christians of the incredible blessing of being identified as a child of God, lest they forget and settle for less than what God has for them. In other words, God doesn't want his eagles living like chickens. And it's that that I want to talk to you about this morning. We've identified John's theme and purpose of this letter to serve as a way of of knowing whether a person has eternal life. We saw that John, will write these things were written that you might know that you have eternal life. Pastor Frank brought us right to the peak of chapter 3 last week and encouraged us and challenged us in the word. I want to pick up where he left off last week. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to 1 John chapter 3. And we'll pick up where he left off. How many were encouraged to hear that those pocketbooks were not his? So. (laughs) 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What a powerful passage of scripture that we see John opening this section up with. I love how John distinguishes this kind of love that the Father has as a distinct expression of any other kind of love. This kind of love changes the spiritual disposition of the one upon whom God extends this kind of love. This kind of love that was given to us, John says, changes us from being the enemies of God to being the children of God. It is God's love that is extended towards us that literally changes us. It transforms us. It moves us from being the enemies of God to being the children of God. That's grace, my friends. That's the grace of God in action because we've done nothing to deserve what God has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. The first point I want to make in our text today is found in these first three verses and it's this. I want you to remember your identity. Remember your identity. If, I think if I had a, a theme that I'm most passionate about uh, as, a, as a pastor, as a shepherd over God's people, is this, this desire that people would come to know who they are in Jesus Christ. Because when we realize who we are in Jesus Christ, it's a game changer. It changes everything about us. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see one another. It changes the way we see the world. And so my life's cry and my passion is that we would would know who we are in Jesus Christ. And what John is reminding them of is to remember their identity. That we should be called or declared, that we would be defined or identified as children of God. That's what you are. That we should be called children of God. And then he says, and, and so we are. It's as if the Holy Spirit is addressing the doubt that might rise up in our hearts when we first hear that we're children of God and then there's that that, that repetitive affirmation and so we are. Yes, you are a child of God. Notice, it makes sense that the world doesn't know who we are. But it's not necessary for us not to know who we are right the reason the world doesn't know who we are is because they didn't know who god is they didn't know who jesus was that's what john says they won't know who you are because they didn't know who i was therefore it's not possible for them to appreciate your identity in christ but there's no reason for us not to know who we are in christ We've had the eyes of our understanding open. We've got the spirit of God in us. And as we do a deep dive into God's word, it reveals and exposes and, and, and helps us to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. The world doesn't know who we are. You know what? That's why there's such hostility towards Christianity. Jesus said, hey, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you also. It's one of the, 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 the benefits of being identified with Christ. John reiterates this again in verse two. He says, beloved, we are God's children now. Notice, we are God's children now. That means you weren't always God's child. We are God's children now. Something happened Right, An event took place that moved us from not being a child of God to now being a child of God. And he says, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him. As he is. I love it. I mean, you talk about wanting to take a deep dive into a text here. Obviously, we understand to the degree that we can on this side of eternity and and applying God's word, we can get a, a, a little bit of an understanding of who we are in Christ. But the fullness of who we are, the significance of what that means, that this union that we have with Christ and with one another is, is, is something that we are so limited in fully grasping. But there will be a day where it says, we will be what we will be, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him. Look, because we shall see him as he is. Right now we see dimly through a mirror, James says, right? But then we shall see him face to face and we shall see him as he is. As Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he said, and we shall know him even as we are known by him. Wow. I mean, that's inc- what, what, what an incredible passage of scripture. This is the blessing. This is the benefit. This is what awaits the child of God not everybody the child of God it gets me excited to just think about what awaits in fact look what John says here next in verse 3 he says and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure In other words, what awaits us ought to drive us to purify ourselves just as he is pure. The reality of what awaits, our identity of who we are now as children of God ought to drive us, ought to inform everything we do to help us seek to be pure even as he is pure. This hope of being like him and seeing him like he is is, di- rec- is directly connected to the fact that we are his children we are his children and since we are his children and since we will be like him and we will see him as he is the call of the apostle Paul is to live live like God's children even if the world doesn't understand it even if it doesn't appear to make sense in this world in which we live they didn't understand him they're not going to understand you you already you are a child of God and the appeal from the apostle is therefore live as children of God for so you are remember your identity Know who you are in Christ. I know we live in a crazy time. This whole identity crisis thing is like off the charts, whacked out, right? I mean, it's, if there's ever been a time that we have seen an identity crisis in the world, it's now. But can I tell you, in the church, we have our own problems. There's an identity crisis in the church as well. In the church, we don't realize sometimes who we are in Christ. And we confuse what we were with who we are. And we reach back too many times and apply what we were to who we are now. And it gets all kinds of confusion. And you see, what we need to recognize and what we need to embrace is not what we were, but who we are now in Christ Jesus. Because you're not what you were. You're now A child of God. Now I'll say something that's very politically incorrect. Not everybody's a child of God. That's what the world will say. Ah, we're all God's children. No, we're not. Listen, every person has been made in the image of God. Every person is is, is worthy of dignity and respect. Every person is made in the image of God, but not every person is a child of God. That's what Jesus said. John chapter 8. Here he is speaking to the, the religious leaders, the people that, that, that really thought they were the children of God, right? The ones who who, who seemed to uh, on the outside really have their act together and wanted to, to lead the groups, right? It's Jesus' harshest words that were reserved for the religious community. And look what Jesus says to these guys. Jesus, uh, John chapter eight, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord but, but he sent me the father sent me why do you not understand what I say and then Jesus gives him the answer it's because you cannot bear to hear my word you don't want the answer why you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning it does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, his own nature. He is the father of lies, Jesus says, speaking of the devil. And they were children of the devil. In a moment, we'll take a look in verse 10 of our text today, in 1 John chapter 3, where John will say, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Everyone is made in the image of God, but not everyone is a child of God. The only way that happens is a person recognizes that they're a sinner in need of a savior and they place their trust in Christ alone as the only means of salvation and they are born again. That which is dead is made alive and they embrace Christ as the only means of their salvation and they cross over from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. How many are child children of God this morning? That's what John is reminding his readers of. That's what he's encouraging them with. That's what I want to encourage you with this morning. You are children of God. Don't forget your identity. Don't fail to recognize and embrace who you are. Because that's what you are. Remember your identity. And when I say remember, I don't mean just kind of keep it in the backdrop of your mind. To remember means that you filter everything we do, everywhere we go, everything we say, every priority we make, everything that we, every way in which we live our lives ought to be filtered through the lens of not necessarily how we feel, but who we are as children of God. We represent God as his children everywhere we go. And that ought to affect every area of our lives. Remember is an action word. It informs how we prioritize our lives. That means there's a major contrast between the way Christians live their lives and the way I love that that happened. I'm going to roast you, brother. <laughs> We're going to have fun with that one. <laughs> that means there's a difference between the way Christians live their lives and non-Christians live their lives because a Christian lives his life with the awareness that he's a child of God and he represents God. Listen to what Peter says in his epistle. First Peter chapter 2, and verse 9, he says this, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, that's where we were, and called us into his marvelous life. Look, once you were not a people, once you We were the enemies of God. Once we were children of the devil. Once you were not a people, but Peter says, but now you're God's people. You're the children of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you've received mercy. Something has changed. And it goes more than just a belief system your identity, your nature, the very essence of who you are has changed because of what Christ has done for you, because of the love that God has bestowed upon you, thereby making you children of God. Remember who you are, because when you remember who you are, it'll impact how you live. You won't be an eagle who eats like, who eats like chickens. As he mentions in verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Right? That's the idea. It informs the priorities of our lives. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he Is pure. Then John presents the contrast those who don't know who they are, or those who think they are something that they're really not, which is something John also addresses in his epistle. Right? Those who are just clueless about who they are, and then there's those who think they are something that they are not. He says this in verse 4 of chapter 3 Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. How righteous? As he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The second point I want to bring to you out of this text this morning is this. Observe your practices. Remember who you are, remember your identity, and now observe your practices. How how does your identity inform your practices? Because John will highlight what that ought to look like. Again, remember the theme of this series. It's that you may know that you have eternal life. John is letting us realize, here's how you know. If you really want to know, let's listen to what John has to say. Observe your practices. You see, John is making the, the logical progression of how remembering our identity ought to influence our practices. How remembering our identity ought to influence our practices. Notice the way that John uses, I like, I like how he uses the word practices. Because we could hear this, listen, you could hear this and be like, oh man, I dropped the ball last week, I'm a loser. I must not be in the faith. I must not be saved. That's, that's, John is very careful and obviously the Holy Spirit who inspired the text is very intentional about using this idea of this word practices. This isn't the person who, who meant their guard was down, they had a weak moment, and they, and they fell in sin. That's not who John is addressing. John is addressing those who practice sin, those who keep on sinning. It's the lifestyle of sin that John exposes as False Christianity. Look what he says here. He says, those who make a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Because sin is lawlessness. Look what he says here. Look, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. I, if this offends you, I didn't write it, but this is this is tough. Yes. Right? I mean, this is really this is this isn't. This isn't soft, but this is the word of God. And see, this is how God, listen, this is how God sets us up to walk in the joy and blessings of God. We measure our practices to ensure that our practices are in alignment with our identity. Not that we walk away, walk around in guilt and shame. That's never the heart of God for us. But these things were preserved so that we can measure our lives by them. Look what he says here. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. To this one, John says, they hadn't lost their salvation. Wasn't like they, they had it and lost it. John said they never had salvation to begin with. They, as John said, had neither seen him or known him. They might have been amongst us. They might have walked with us. They might have heard us. They might have even used the God words. But at the end of the day, They had neither seen him or known him. Listen, one's lifestyle doesn't secure their salvation. How we live our lives, whether we go to church, whether we do all all the goods and the bad, that's not what secures our salvation. What does it do? It reveals whether we have truly come to faith and are in relationship with Christ. Because in the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about being in relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He didn't come so that we like you know recognize the importance of going to church and read our Bible and praying. No, that's not. Those are the those are the, the that, that's the, the fruit of the relationship that we have with God. Jesus came so that we are we can be reconciled back to God, that we no longer be um, dead nor trespasses and sins, but made alive together in Him. That we no longer be a child of the devil, but be a child of God. In fact, Jesus points out that there will be some who even partake in religious activity but are not in relationship with him. I mean, the Pharisees clearly were a part of that group. <laughs> Just think about it. Here, here's Jesus in, in, in Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is laying out for them topically what it looks like To be his disciple. That's what rabbis did. Rabbis would would lay out for their students here's what it means, here's the the understanding, here's what it looks like to follow me. And we see in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us a whole list of topical ways in which his disciples can look like their rabbi, in this case, Jesus. And he's laying all these things out here's the things that you ought to do, here's how you ought to respond, here's how you ought to believe. And then he wraps that whole section up by saying these words. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Now listen, now, after having said that, no, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. Then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, they had the works of the church. They had the phenomena of the church, right? They, they, they prophesied in the name of Jesus. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. A whole list of kinds of groups are coming to my mind at the moment. But, but we see these, these sign seekers doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. And what Jesus is going to say to them is, depart from me, look, because I never knew you. Not I knew you and forgot about you. No, you were never in union with me. You were never in relationship with me. Depart from me for I I never knew you. Why? Because they embraced religious activity, religious phenomenon, but they didn't embrace Jesus. Remember we talked about the idea of having not just a profession of faith, but a possession of faith that is tied to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls. And so what John is highlighting here very clearly is that our relationship with God ought to inform the way we live our lives, our practices. John's pointing out that we are to observe our practices to ensure they reflect our relationship with Jesus they don't create our relationship with Jesus he did that for us on the cross they are to reflect our relationship with Jesus and so we see two purposes that John brings this out obviously it's to expose those who are false Christians but but even more than that it's to highlight that as children of God we ought not to participate in things that are contrary to our nature Not because because God is looking to keep good things from us, but to keep bad things from us. You see, God's laws, God's God's restrictions, God's warnings in the scripture are to protect us and to keep us living in accordance with our nature so that we, we, we might walk the blessed life that we ought to have as children of God. God's laws and warnings in the Scripture are like the, the lines in the highway. You've he- you've heard me share that in the past. Nobody wants. To, I mean, nobody wants to drive on the L I E to begin with. But nobody would want to be driving on the Long Island Expressway if there was no lines in the road. Could you imagine? What kind of chaos that'd be like? People swerving all over the place, bumping in, bouncing into each other. Those lines kind of give a sense of safety until that knucklehead is on their phone not paying attention. But theoretically, right, those lines are there so that if you stay within the lines, you should relatively have a safe journey. Well, God's laws and God's warnings in the scripture are those lines in the road that if we'll stay within those lines, if we'll follow the laws and the precepts and the principles of God, we should have a relatively safe journey and walk and live in the blessings of God. But when we get rid of those lines, chaos happens. Listen to what he says here in verse seven. Little children... And I just, I love the fatherly shepherd's heart of, of, of John because he's saying some really hard things here. And this, 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 this idea of little children is not one of condescension, but affection and affirmation and love. Little children, let no one deceive you. Don't let anybody get you thinking that this is irrelevant to our day and age, Right? Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous. Isn't that incredible? For the one that embraces Christ, right? What happens though? What happens at salvation? We have the righteousness of Christ imputed into our life. We are clothed in his righteousness, as Isaiah says. So what that means is that when God sees you, he doesn't see that you dropped the ball last week and write you off and kick you to the curb. He sees the the, he sees the righteousness of, of his son applied to your life, and therefore you are a child of God. Do you know you'll never be more righteous before God than you are right now? If you have embraced Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you will never be in a greater standing before God in all of eternity than you are right now. Why? Because your whole merit, your whole the one you're hiding behind is Christ and Christ alone. He says whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God loves you too much to allow you to engage in the things that are contrary to your nature. For those of you who are parents, you you know what it is to want to keep your children from doing things that you know are not going to be good for them. We beg, plead, we do everything we possibly can, right, to keep them from making decisions and and doing things that we know are not going to be good for them. And we are sinful. How much more our Father, as he looks upon his children, he loves us too much to allow us to engage in things that are contrary to our nature. As believers, we should strive to walk in obedience to God's commandments knowing that his spirit dwells within us. And while we may stumble and fall, we should never make a practice of sinning. We should never get to that point where we say, you know what, I just, I just, you know, I just give up trying. That's where you're heading for a real disaster, right? We, we never get to the point where we just say, you know what, I'm just gonna do what I wanna do. It's contrary to our new nature in Christ. And so we are to observe our practices. Look inwardly and see why do I make the decisions that I do? Where do I go? What are my priorities? John reminds us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Why would we pick them up again in our lives? He did that by through his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus conquered sin and death, offering forgiveness and redemption for you and I. And as the children of God, we've been set free from the power of sin and we are called to live victorious lives, reflecting the character of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God in us. It gives us everything we need to accomplish that task. Let's continue. Look at verse nine. Last point. Preparing and unpacking this verse For this passage I must have read this passage So many times over the years of my Christianity I've preached through this before I've taught through this before And this last week when I was preparing for this I had never seen it like I saw I love when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes To a text it truly, The scripture truly is living and active And sharper than any two-edged sword But look what, look what it says here No one born of God If you, if you haven't heard anything I said this morning this is a great time to jump right in, because this is, this is really the, the, the meat and potatoes, right, or the sauce and gravy, whatever. you, This is important, right? Listen to this. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed. What is that? It, it's not referring to God's offspring. Seed also refers to life, right? So, so we see no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for the life of God abides in him. Wow. The life of God abides in you. God who? God the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came on the scene, right? Jesus walked with us. The Holy Spirit is within us. And because the Holy Spirit is within us, it says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. look, and he cannot keep on sinning. He cannot keep on sinning. He cannot keep on sinning. sinning. He cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he's been born of God. Because, in other words, there's been such a work that's done in his life. Because the the life of God is within him, a true child of God cannot keep on sinning. And see, what we see there it it, it just highlights the beauty of God's workmanship in our lives. It highlights the beauty of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that doesn't allow us to get away with anything. How many have experienced those moments in your life where you look and say, uh, you you, you just sense that you're you're moving in a direction that is contrary to what God wants you to do, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but you've been there, I I know. And you feel this, this conviction. You feel this, this distancing. You realize that I'm not living where I know I need to be living. Why, are you, why am I feeling that? Because the life of God is in me. And because the life of God is in me, I cannot keep sinning. Look, the life of God abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he's been born of God. Look, by this, by what? By the fact that he cannot keep sinning. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. You talk about metrics. Here's a great, this is for the, the, for the one who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but hey, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do, living how I want to live. I really don't care. I'm gonna have my own way. You don't have the life of God in you because if the life of God was in you, you would be prohibited from doing that. How many know and have experienced that God knows how to dry up every well in your life to get your attention? That's exactly what happened to me. I, as a, I walked away from the Lord as a, as a teenager and pursued everything that, that I thought the world had to offer me. And like the, like the prodigal son, I had nothing left. And it was out of God's grace and mercy that he allowed me to get there to realize that he is everything I need. I couldn't keep on sinning. Now there are seasons that we go through and if that was a, you know, thankfully that was a season in my life but if that was the totality of my life I would have to conclude according to the scriptures that I was never a believer to begin with. But God by his grace and mercy and I'm so thankful that he did he extended mercy to me. Why? Because the life of God was in us. That's the third point, that God's seed abides in you. Know who you are. Observe your practices. Why? Because God's seed abides in you. No one born of God makes a practice of sin. We know that John already repudiated sinless perfection. I mean, we know it's not possible to get to the point where we are perfectly uh, sinless, That's why he opened up with, hey, my children, I write these things that you might not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we recognize that what John is not saying is that everybody needs to be perfect. John is not saying Christians won't sin. But what we must see is that sin and the Christian is radically opposed to each other. It goes against the very essence of who you are as a child of God. Which goes right back to why I said it's so important that you know who you are in Christ to the degree that you know who you are in Christ is the degree that you won't allow yourself to live in accordance with your old nature. God's seed abides in him. That's the life of God that abides in you and see this this isn't see for me I I read this and it just charges me up if you haven't noticed because this is so beautiful this is so beautiful this is so the heart of God he loves you so much that he'll let you be miserable so that you don't settle for second best we've all been there we all know that the decisions we made the things we done we all know that gut feeling like oh man I really dropped the ball here I did not reflect Christ in this area I sinned in this area. And what we feel right away, we feel, we feel ashamed, right? We feel a lack of peace. We feel like a, we feel like a disconnect from God, right? We feel, I mean, the, 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 it just goes on and on. And it's like God doesn't want to keep us there, but that's the loving way in which God gets his attention, it gets our attention. It says, hey, if you'll confess your sins, I'm faithful and just. I'll forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so I, I I see this text as a as, as proof of the believer. Listen, if you're if you're if you're engaged in, in, engaging in life and, and, and you sin in an area and 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 and, and you sense that, that conviction in your heart, I I, I want to encourage you. Don't let shame be the response. Let that be an incredible reminder of proof that you're a child of God. Because dead things don't feel things. Dead things don't feel guilty. If you're spiritually dead, you're not worried about hurting the heart of God and violating the laws of God. Don't give up. Don't walk in shame and guilt. That's what what condemnation does. Right? Condemnation leaves you feeling like, I've crossed the line and there's no return. As long as you've got a heartbeat, there's a way back to Christ. Christ. by this is it, it, is, it is evident who are the children of God? Knowing in our knower what the Spirit of God is saying. And in contrast, he highlights we also know who are the children of the devil. By this it is evident. By what? By a willful, unrepentant, ability to sin with no shame no guilt no desire to, say, to, to change John says that person is a child of the devil do you see how good he is he is so good he is so loving he is so merciful that the spirit of God within you won't allow you to drive on the highway of life where there's no lines and it's reckless He gets our attention so that we'll confess our sin and walk in the wholeness. And that's proof that you're a child of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Remember your identity. Observe. Your practices. Why? Because God's seed abides in you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are committed to complete that which you've begun in our lives. And Father, I pray for every child of God in this place that we'd not walk, that they'd not walk in guilt and shame. But they'd see every "no from you as a yes for blessing and protection and obedience and, 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 and goodness towards them. Father, I pray that this word would uh, encourage us to observe our ways, to ensure that our practices are consistent with our nature. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that, that does not recognize the conviction of the spirit that does not sense the disapproval of God that does not have the life of God in them I pray Lord that they would not leave this building this morning without coming to saving faith in Christ and Christ alone for you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If that's you this morning at the end of the service, I'm going to encourage you to come up and our elders will be up here. They'd love to pray for you and uh, help you in your journey to Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and let's respond as children of God to God this morning.